What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 90 of the Lynch Leader Podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. You know, I remember the passion we began with back in the fall of 2017, and the goal was if I could sit down with an amazing leader and stick a microphone in the middle of the table, ask the questions you and I have always wanted to know, not just about leadership, but about their spiritual leadership and their faith journey. What would I ask and what would they say? And man, the thought that we've been able to do that now for 90 episodes and you get to listen in. I wish I was eating lunch with them, but it's over Zoom. But man, it has been fun. You know, in our last review that we received on iTunes just this past Tuesday, Jim 007A said, Pastor Mike's a wonderful teacher and encourager on Sunday mornings, so I'm not surprised he's great at interviewing. He asks the questions we need answers to and has fun and meaningful conversations with every leader on. Keep it up. Jim, thank you. Thanks for tuning in. You know, if you are listening right now and you go, man, I just got forwarded this. I saw it on Twitter. I saw it on Facebook and I clicked over and listened in. Pause right now and go to your podcast app, whether it's Spotify, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Stitcher, whether it's Google Play and subscribe. It is the best way to stay on top of the content that we are putting out at least every other week. And there are some amazing, listen, 2021 is almost all recorded. And there are some amazing guests to come. And while you're there, leave us a review. It does help us move up the charts and help others listen in. Well, today we get to sit down with another great leader. This gentleman's name is David Hoyt. David is one of the carefully selected and trained principal consultants with Patrick Lencioni's firm, The Table Group. He works with companies and CEOs all across the country on teamwork, leadership, and overall organizational health. And then he goes and he teaches the advantage and five dysfunctions of a team. David has over 20 years of experience leading people in organizations. For many years, he worked with John Maxwell, and he was the president of the John Maxwell Group. David is a leader of leaders. Not only is he a principal consultant at the Table Group, but he's the president and founder of the Principal Group. You're going to learn a lot, and you're going to have a lot to write down and think through. So I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to pull up a chair, and I want you to listen in to my conversation with David Hoyt. David, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It means the world that you would jump on today. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me. Man, so you work in all, and we're going to get all throughout your sort of leadership journey. To you, what makes a great leader? How would you define a great leader? I think a great leader 
really understands the responsibility of leadership. And it's not about uh, their own um, benefit, but it truly is about serving the people that they lead and the organization. Uh, as you know, I, I, I do a lot of work uh, with Patrick Lencioni, and uh, he wrote a new book called The Motive, and it, and it talks about these two motives, either responsibility-based leader or reward-based leader. And I believe great leaders model responsibility-based leadership, which means they do the hard things, and they're really there about service for the organization and the people that they lead. So as you began to grow as a leader, how did you begin to develop those skills yourself? As you began in this this journey, probably back in high school and college, as you began to walk yeah. in this arena, how did you begin to develop those skills? In the beginning, I would say, you know, I, I didn't, I, I probably didn't value leadership <laughs> or I didn't, I didn't understand the importance of it. I, I mean, I think we all lead in some capacities, played uh, sports, basketball was kind of my go-to, um, was privileged to be captain of the team uh, a number of years growing up in junior high and high school. But I don't think that I, I at all understood um, the, the, maybe the weight or the responsibility of that. Um, my dad was a pastor, so I watched him lead, both do some, some leadership things well. Uh, and have some leadership challenges. And there were definitely some things from watching him that I, I, I wanted to emulate and that I admired. And there were some things as well that I knew uh, I probably wanted to do uh, differently. And then for me, the, the defining moment by far uh, was uh, soon out of college, I went to work with uh, John Maxwell, who of course is known as one of the great leadership gurus out there. And I think it was, it was leading up to that. I began to read about leadership uh, right out of college. And um, it was especially going to work for John and what was known as the Enjoy organization way back then, that uh, the importance of leadership became forefront in my mind and where I really became a student of it and uh, developed great passion around it. You know, I know during your college years, you, you, walked, the, you walked the same grounds of liberty that I walked. Yeah. As you began to work for John and you reflected back on that time at Liberty, what do you, you, Dr. Falwell was such an iconic figure back then in all of our lives, looking back through the lens of John and learning leadership and thinking about it. What were some things you picked up from doc while you were walking the grounds of Liberty? You probably didn't even get, you didn't even think about why you were a student there. Yeah. You know, so two things really come to the forefront of my mind. And as you said, I probably wouldn't have articulated it exactly uh, this way back then, but, but I knew this to be true about him. It's why I loved him. And I, I never had a real personal relationship with him, but man, his vision, mm. his vision to, 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 you know, take that mountain and from nothing to, uh, to build that school I so wish, and, and from heaven, I'm sure he is um, seeing and experience what's taking place there today. But it was his vision that was always inspiring to me, whether in a convocation or showing up at Thomas Road Baptist Church or any environment. Uh, I think vision and then just enthusiasm and encouragement. Mm. Um, both the, the couple times that I interacted with him in a smaller group um, to you know any group of people 
you just walk away, you walked away from that interaction feeling motivated, inspired, and encouraged. And even though I never truly knew him uh, personally, um, man, I, I admired him so much then and to this day for those attributes. Isn't that so true? You know, my daughter graduated up there last year and every time I would go back and I enjoyed so much going back up there because everything they're living now, he somehow saw it. I don't know how he did it. And it really, it was vision. I mean, he, he believed it when nobody thought that could happen. And um, man, that's so good. And then you leave and you get to work with John and you know, John, I think is the, the leadership guy. I mean, he's the guy we all look back. What did you pick up? What were some of the, the bleed offs from, from working around John so closely during those years, especially those later years, what were some of the things you picked up from him as he lived out leadership? Yeah. One is there's, there's so much, uh, if I tried to boil it down to a couple things, that I learned from him and saw him model and have really tried to incorporate into my own journey. I would say it is intentionality mm. and consistency. Um, John is one of the absolute most intentional people that I know everything he does from how he works to who he spends time with, to even how he structures personal time. And then just the power of consistency, uh, day in and day out. He has something, uh, uh, he teaches called the rule of five, and it's what are the things that you do every day, even if it's in small doses, but w- what are those, he would say, probably five things that you do every day, and it's amazing what you can accomplish with consistency. So, so many things, and we could we could take hours, um, and I could share lessons learned and stories and examples, but as I reflect, and I have spent time reflecting, um, of what are those top things that that I learned from my many years uh, working closely with him, I think it would probably be intentionality and consistency and the power of those two things, especially when you, when you align them. What's something about him? Most people wouldn't know, you know, we've all read his books. Uh, I went to his taping Mm -hmm. the other week of, of his last, his latest book, the leader's greatest return, which I think might be his best one yet. Um, What's something about him that you got to see up close and personal some people that may not know him may not know about him as a person and as a leader. That's a really good question because I, I feel like he's so he's so transparent in who he is. I think I really admired the genuine care and love and respect that he had for his inner circle. Another word that comes to mind is generosity. Mm. Uh, incredibly generous. Um, with experiences and opportunities and uh he and people may know this from hearing him speak but man he loves a great experience uh, one of the other things is both how to create a great experience and how to invite others into a great experience like everything was an experience with john he could make something very very simple that almost seemed mundane and turn it into a, a memorable experience um that you would remember for for months if not years to come that is so good. That is so good. As you look back now, how did that time shape you? So here you are, a young kid, you graduate Liberty yeah. with all the hopes and dreams, and you got you got rubbed off on by Doc, and then you work for yeah. one of the, the greatest leaders of our generation with John. Yeah. How did those years with the John Maxwell Group shape you? I think it, it definitely shaped my, my mindset 
and approach to life of just how I think and how I see the world and how, how I see opportunity and how I see, see people. Uh, so for sure, just mindset, worldview, approach to life. One of the other things I'm so grateful for is who it has given me exposure to. Mm. Uh, I'm very grateful for my upbringing, but grew up in a, a kind of a blue collar uh, environment in town. And there weren't a lot of, of men specifically that I could look at and kind of hold in high esteem and say, I, I want to live my life that way. Sold out for Christ, loved the family, successful in business, making a big impact. And I think about part of it was just the move to Atlanta. And a lot of it had to do with who I was able to rub shoulders with through the Maxwell organization. But, but I think it was even bigger and broader than that. But w- one of the things I'm so grateful for in my life is over the last 20 years of who I've been exposed to. Mm. And I'm able to just link arms with and um, uh, have community with of, of trying to live for Christ be great husbands and dads and make an impact out there. Um, I just think about the people I've been exposed to. And that truly is, it may be the, the greatest impact um, that it's had on my life. I'm so grateful, grateful for that. You know, we, we use a phrase and I heard old Bible teacher named Ron Dunn. He used to say this all the time. God never wastes our time and he never wastes our experiences. It, it, as you look back I know you spent a lot of time on the road traveling with his nonprofit, Equip, working and pouring into leaders all over the world. What did it do to shape shape you in meeting leaders from literally every country in the world that you went to teach, but I'm sure you brought back a lot from that time with them. What did you learn during that time with Equip? I so I had the opportunity to, to train Latin America, Europe, you know, with John traveled and we did a lot in Africa, Asia, uh, Central America. So I got to see I mean, I really literally got to see the world and and, and Christianity and all its different um, states of influence, I guess you would say, across those places. I think it made me incredibly grateful mm. for, for what we have here in the U.S. in terms of of resources and freedom. I have so much, I, I, I literally can picture the different leaders that I got to, to, to serve and to do some conferences for in those years. I have so much respect for them of the impact that they are making with such unbelievably limited resources that so many of us are blessed with here in the U.S. And so I think it gave me an appreciation for, for them and their passion, um, and that they didn't let absence of resources, or at least what we're used to, limit them in any capacity. You know, David, I think I think about that, and I think about, man, all you poured in, and now you get the opportunity to work alongside of uh, probably the guy that knows and, and is speaking into healthy team cultures and healthy church mm-hmm. cultures more than anybody else with Patrick. Um, as you are, as you're working in this world, what are you learning about organizations and teams around that word health? What, what are yeah. things you're picking up on that we need to yeah. know as we all lead out there that, uh, that, that you're learning while you're, 
you're rubbing shoulders with some of the, the brightest and best CEOs yeah. across the country. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I don't feel like I'm learning things that maybe we wouldn't have known intuitively per se. But here's what's fascinating, getting to work with CEOs and executive teams week in and week out, the consistent challenges and themes that you see regardless of the organization. If it's a $12 billion, almost 60,000 employee company um, that I'm privileged to work with down to um, a small foundation of a half dozen, or I guess probably about eight people. Some of those themes still translate. One of the biggest themes, and this this won't shock anybody, but but I, I see the reality of it every day. And that is one person not fully committed to a team will cause that team to be dysfunctional. Mm. And I can take you to a couple specific organizations and teams where we go in and we talk about how do we build high trust and engage in healthy conflict and uh, embrace commitment and these different um, ideas and principles. And you'll see the majority of the team say, yes, we need to lean in here. We, we need to improve and do it better. And we need to commit to these things. And you'll see one person who has their own agenda and kind of pulling in a different direction, either passively aggressively or just outright dig their heels in and say, I don't want to do this, et cetera. And I have seen these teams just struggle and struggle and struggle. And finally, the leader had the courage to make the tough call, tough call and a team that was highly dysfunctional literally turn around overnight because that person who was not fully committed to the team is no longer part of that team. And one of the things I encourage leaders with is the moment that you sense or see that you've got to do something, you've got to coach them so aggressively to get on board with the direction of the team, or you are, are literally destroying the team and causing great dysfunction by putting up with that behavior. And usually they, they sense it, they feel it, they're frustrated, but it takes so long to get there. And I've just seen what it looks like on the other side so many times now. And that's, that's one of my great encouragement to anybody on a team. Look at the people around you. Can you fully commit the best version of yourself to this group of people? If not, you're probably not experiencing the joy and work that you could. And the best thing you can do is self-select. And for sure, you're causing dysfunction among this group. Um, and uh, so, so it's the ability to get everybody on the team genuinely uh, in a high-trust environment, pulling in the same direction, and one person will absolutely destroy that. So when you see that, you're working with the team, David, and you see that, and you see that employee. And the, in there, in, in the leader probably already knows who they are. They probably already know. They already know, but but there's this fear of dealing with it, the ramifications of dealing with yeah. it. How do you coach them through that? How do you walk with a leader through that time? <laughs> One is I, I share my own leadership experience. So mm. uh, in my 19 years in the Maxwell organization, 18 out of those years, I was uh, in people leadership and the last several years served as president of the company. I just reflect on my leadership journey and, and two of my my greatest, I guess you would say, regrets in personal leadership or things that I would I would challenge myself on, especially as I do this work now, would be doing a better job of holding people accountable day in and day out. And that's not finger wagging getting in people's um, face per se, but it's just it's reminding them and it's holding them accountable in the little things versus let it build and build and build. And then you have this massive conversation and they feel blindsided. Um, it's just the daily accountability. And secondly, would be honestly, it would be trusting my intuition 
mm. more and making the tough calls sooner. And so ultimately, I know everybody's got to come to that decision in their own time as a leader. But one of the things that I try to do is just share my own leadership journey, as well as share the stories and examples of things that I see frequently in leadership. And as I mentioned before, the same things continue to reoccur, regardless of the industry, size of organization, all of all those things. It's Those are two major things. One is just holding mm. people and the team accountable day in and day out. And number two is trusting that most people intuitively know what is right and best, but there's all kinds of reasons that we talk ourselves out of. And it's always hard. You know, there's personal relationship and there's personal history and those kind of things. I'm not saying every, every, every time it means somebody has to transition out, but usually the leader knows I, I find, and it takes them a long time to finally come to that conclusion. And a lot of times, a lot of damage has been done. Can a leader coach them out of that? I mean, can a leader find that person and go, all right, something's got to change. It, yeah. do you, what do you see more of it? Does it change or yeah, you can coach them out of that. What have you seen working with companies and teams? On the really dysfunctional teams and some of these really dysfunctional individuals, I'd say more times than not, it just, coaching did not work based on the point that it was at and it had to coach him off the team. Now, I, I don't, I don't believe it has to be that way. I think a lot of times that it got to that point was because the leader didn't hold that person accountable early on. And so there's now years of accepted bad behavior. And I think the majority of time when people are held accountable from day one, I believe that coaching will work and people can and will change or they'll self-select. They'll realize, wow, this person, this leader is serious about holding me accountable. I don't really like being held accountable. I think I'm going to leave on my own and, and go someplace else where I can kind of do my own thing. I, I think the reason that um, oftentimes by the time, you know, we're called in, um, I still say coach them, have, have the tough conversation, work to hold them accountable day in and day out. But, but um, a lot of times it's just so many years of, um, the same behavior. Um, it, it's hard for people to change at that point or overcome. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but I, I believe the solution is from day one, holding, holding people accountable. And very few times, one of the things we, we share with teams and believe with all our heart that leaders very few times should have to fire anyone when we practice daily accountability. Um, they're going to change or they're going to self-select uh, but very few times should we ever have to let them go if we're truly holding them accountable day in and day out. Can a, can a leader make up for that? I mean, can a leader, so they, they've been at this organization for a while, and that's not a strength. I've even heard Patrick on some of his podcasts say, this isn't something I'm good at. This is something I struggle with, yeah. holding people yeah. accountable. And, and for yeah. me, I would yeah. say even in my ministry, probably the weakest part of my ministry is my gift of giving grace and my weakness of giving grace right on the work front. Yeah, can, yeah. can a leader, can a leader make up for that by saying, you know what, I've got to change this. Have you watched not just the people change, but have you watched leaders in mid career be able to change? I have. Yeah. I, I think, I think holding people accountable can be developed. I think most of us probably haven't seen that modeled. Probably we've not 
had anybody really pour into us and intentionally talk to us about the importance of it. You know, very little, I find great management or leadership training for people as they step into leadership. They're just kind of like tossed in here you go and rely on what they've, they've seen. Um, but I, I, I absolutely believe it. I, I think it's a decision and it's a choice. Mm. And as, as we work with leaders, uh, a lot of times, um, they, it's been, they've done their best. They, they, they're, they're truly doing their best, but they haven't approached it intentionally and giving them a roadmap and talking about the importance of the things that they need to do as the leader of the team. I absolutely, I'm got a call later this afternoon with one of those leaders where he, he would self-admittedly say, um, yeah, I probably wasn't doing some of the things that I needed to as the primary leader of the organization. And I have seen a complete shift in him and his leadership in the last three months of how he is intentionally stepping up to his role as the leader of that organization. That is so good. That is so good. So you've done this so long now. You you go walking in a church. You go walking in a business. How quickly can you pick up on team culture? They they've 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 engaged with you guys as one of their yeah. consultants to come in. They're yeah. going to lay it out for you. You begin to meet with their team. How quickly can you pick up on that culture? Very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just in a conversation with the leader, have a really good sense about their leadership style, what they do well, where some blind spots may be, both from things that they share, but just kind of reading between the lines. We intentionally, I always want to talk to the leader, have a couple conversations with the leader before I talk to the team. Mm-hmm. In almost every circumstance, I don't want too much exposure to the other team members until we bring them together as a collective team. I want to be able to form my own observations um, of that team, just watching them interact. And uh, a book that Pat wrote that doesn't necessarily get the same uh, publicity as the others, and it's our approach to consulting. It's a funny title. It's called Getting Naked. Um, But it's how how we approach consulting. And and it's it's really reading the individuals, reading the team Mm -hmm. dynamics, um, and the moment that something kind of seems off and awkward, whether it's body language, whether you know somebody's holding back and has more to say, whether it's just tone and interaction between a couple people, you know, we know that it'd be easy to, to kind of just ignore that and move on for the sake of everybody being comfortable. In our work, we know actually that's where we got to dive mm-hmm. in we got to call something out or ask a hard question. That's where we need to go. If the team's going to have breakthrough, every team has elephants on the team, kind of those things that they just don't want to talk about and are uncomfortable and awkward and weird and sensitive. And we know until we can get those things on the the table, the team will continue to struggle, but it's amazing just by calling stuff out and having a conversation around it, how breakthroughs can happen for teams. So, so for me, sorry, we kind of got off on a little tangent there, but, but um, assessing the team real time and every team has its unique um, dynamic and culture and, and idiosyncrasies. Um, but yeah, you can typically pick up on those things pretty quickly. Well, and most would say, well, if we, if we avoid conflict, that's good. Everything was a non-conflict meeting, but you guys would say <laughs> conflict, conflict is always there. Talk, talk to me a little bit. And these, I mean, that's sort of yeah. a theme through all the books, five dysfunctions, yeah. 
death yeah. by meeting, you know, all the, you know, I've read all the just voracious about yeah. reading all his books. Why is conflict so important to bring out, as you said a second ago, to get it out on the table? Yeah, two primary reasons. And when we're talking about conflict, somebody's not as familiar maybe with the terminology we use. It, it's um, conflict around ideas, meaning decisions that we need to make. It's not necessarily personality conflict or just people conflict. But but the two primary reasons, and, and some people even get turned off by the word conflict, it, it, it's dialogue, it's debate. The key thing is not holding back what you're thinking. Mm. And the two reasons why healthy conflict is so important, and we truly find the best teams have more conflict, not less, is number one is because if we have the right people at the table or on the team, they're there for a reason. And they bring a unique perspective and experience to that team and to that decision that needs to be made. We need, as a team and a leader needs, to get everybody's full and best thinking out on the table, get everybody's perspective, believing that if we get everybody's best thinking and best ideas and full perspective on the table, ultimately the team and the leader can make the best decision possible because we got the full thinking. And number two is uh, a concept that we teach called weigh-in to buy-in. What we find is, and we've all had this experience where Somebody made a decision above us in the organization that was going to greatly impact our part of the organization, but we had no voice, no seat at the table. It was just handed down to us. I'm not saying it's impossible to fully buy into that decision, but it's hard. It's hard for anybody. But what we find is when people genuinely felt heard, that even when the decision doesn't go their way, but they had a seat at the table and felt genuinely heard and their opinion was considered, 99% 99% of people can actually buy in to that decision and fully commit to that. So that's the other reason why it's so important. One other thing I'll say here um, around this idea of conflict, because it, it's one of the hardest couple of behaviors, and I naturally want to hold back in harder conversations. A personal litmus test I use for myself is when there, there's a hard conversation around um, conflict, about a hard decision we're gonna we're going to have to make, or even around accountability, um, the behavior of a a team member holding them accountable. When I go home, if I find myself relaying to my wife, Lori, some some opinions, some thoughts that I had that I didn't have the courage to say in the meeting, I realized I was holding back. So one of the things I challenge leaders is, what's your personal litmus test? How do you know if you're holding back on the most important topic? So, hey, if we're talking about, you know, what day are we going to have the Christmas party on? Probably not the, the, the most important decision the team's ever going to have to make. So, you know, there's discernment of what are the real important decisions we have to make. That's where we got to get everybody's full thinking out and have a great passionate conflict. We call those $5 topics. You know, you have five cent topics of where we have in the Christmas party. We don't need to have that degree of passionate debate. But on those $5 topics, have a personal litmus test to, to be able to ask yourself and hold yourself accountable. Am I holding back on this topic or am I fully bringing my best and full thinking to the team? God, that is so good, man. That is so good because so many times you get home from a meeting and you unload to your spouse. And yep. really the reality is you should have said all that at the meeting. And then invariably yep. they'll go, did you say that? Well, no, I didn't say it, but I was thinking that even as a leader, yep. sometimes you hold back. Yep. It's not just totally. the team, team members that are holding back. 
So I know every leader, David, and you guys are so big on this. Every leader is always trying. Yeah. Can I make just one quick point on that? Please, absolutely. You're right. Here's the thing to go go back to. When you realize you're holding back, and if folks are familiar with five behaviors of cohesive teams that we, we teach teams, the foundational, the, the bottom behavior that it's all built on is trust. That's right. So the moment that you the moment you realize that you are holding back for some reason, always go back to trust. Mm. The trust level with that individual, the trust level with the team is not where it fully needs to be. And that is the reason that people hold back. So the moment you realize it, I want, I want people to go one step deeper and realize I've got to go build greater trust with that individual or with that team. So in the future, I don't hold back. That's exactly where I was going because trust is every, no, it's perfect, David, because trust is everything to you guys. I mean, that's the deal. It's gotta be, it's gotta be built on trust and we're always looking for ways to develop trust. We just don't think about dealing with hard topics as part of, as part of, we want to build trust by going out and doing a wilderness game and, you know, buying Christmas gifts, which I'm sure is all part of it, but we don't think about it's dealing with the hard things builds trust. That's right. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing going through those hard conversations, how a team will be closer together, have built the trust when they handle it the right way. God, so good, man. That's so good. You know, you work with so many leaders and leaders carry such a great pressure on them. What are the biggest temptations and struggles you see leaders that you work with facing? You know, they, they, they go in, they drive into work and they, they've got the right nameplate on the front of the desk and the right moniker on their business card, but yet they're carrying a weight and there's a spiritual a spiritual piece I want to get into it in a second too. But um, sure. what are what are the weights and temptations you see leaders carrying that you you pray for and know that they're struggling with? Yeah, I, so I think there's a lot. <laughs> I uh, another book that uh, Pat wrote you probably read Five Temptations of a Leader. One I, I see leaders. Um, fall prey to all five of the temptations. I know, I know when I read that book for the first time as a leader before I joined the table groups and started consulting, it was probably the most convicting book that I ever read because I realized guilty, 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 all the way down, uh, different decisions and seasons where I've been guilty. I think, I think probably the top two that I see would be, um, and it's the temptation of popularity over accountability is leaders just want to be liked. And and as a result, because they want their people to like them, almost like them as a friend, they abdicate the accountability piece. Um, And and we call that temptation popularity. I think the other one is we get enamored by the benefits Mm. and that's the reward based leader where we feel like we've arrived to a degree. And as a result, we don't want to have to do the hard things of leadership. We want to delegate that and just do what's fun and exciting to us. And there are just some hard things that only the leader can do or the leader has to do first to model it to the team. And that's 
the the opposite of reward-based leadership is responsibility-based leadership. But I would say, I, and, and I don't think you're only a responsibility-based leader or reward-based leader. I think it's a, a, a continuum, sure. but I think it's easy to fall into the temptation of focusing way more on the rewards than the responsibility of leadership. In the, in the hardest part in leadership is you never arrive. And so you may get it. You, you may do responsibility this week and next week you lean yep. into the rewards piece. I mean, it's always ebbing 100%. and flowing. How does a, how does a leader, how does a leader stay on track? How does a leader make sure that they are being the leader that they were created to be any, any suggestions or ideas for them? Yeah. I, th- I think having accountability there. Mm. Uh, so, you know, who in, who in your world can hold you accountable to those things? And, and you know, as, as we work with clients, it's one of the roles that we can play, but by no means are we the only group uh, or individuals out there. And I think it's a combination of, of whether it's a consultant, whether it's a coach, that somebody outside your world um, that can hold you accountable. And then secondly, a peer group. Uh, I would highly recommend um, other CEOs or whatever role that the person is in. Who are some folks that, that are on the same pathway growth trajectory as yourself, have have um, very similar values that you can link arms with around your leadership? I've got, um, I mean, we're just constantly texting each other day in and day out. I've got a small group of guys like that, that we both professionally and personally, we, we hold each other accountable. We, we encourage um, we share ideas. And so I, I, especially if we're talking the senior leader, I, I think a professional, uh, as a, uh, consultant or a coach, but then a, a small group of peers that are just in it for each other, um, is the best way. And at the end of the day, it's, it is self accountability, but I think we all need some outside help. And those are, are two things that, um, I know have been valuable for me. And, and I know your faith means a lot to you. So how does your, is your faith something that you go to on Sundays and you go to a church and maybe a small group, or does your faith and walk with the Lord blend in to how you lead? Talk to me a little bit about how you see spiritual leadership playing into this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, that is the foundation that, <laughs> That is, uh, could not be more central. Um, for me, I, you know, I grew, I'm a pastor's kid. I, I grew up in the church, uh, grew up a uh, believer, accepted Christ at four. So it's always been part of my journey. But I would say, um, honestly, it was probably only uh, about four years ago where I think, I, and I'm not going to say I, I learned it for the first time, but I learned it in a fresh way of just what surrender looks like. And so for me, um, it is uh, pretty much a daily prayer of uh, surrender, of trying to give up control. I'm a, I'm a leader. I like to, uh, I like to, 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 to lead and, and guide and, and sometimes control. And so for me, it's uh, just about every day down on my knees and, and asking again to surrender um, career finances, family, relationships, reputation, health, um, and remembering that uh, ultimately Christ is in control and that's who I'm depending on um, is the, the the heart set and the mindset that um, I try to embrace. Obviously, don't do it perfectly by any means, but it, I'm always coming back to that. 
you know, I know Blackaby in his book on experiencing God said we all reach a crisis of belief, you know, in our in our world. What what brought you to yours a couple of years ago? What got you where all of that yeah. just sort of all hits you at that point? Yeah. It so at the time, about 18 years uh in my career path, and quite frankly, thought that's what I was gonna be doing um for my entire career. And it was kind of at a year end season that uh, I typically do or I slow down and do a little bit of reflection and some planning. And the big epiphany that I had was I'd had so much joy and fulfillment in this work for so long, but that level of joy was not the same. Mm -hmm. Something just fell off on the inside. And I felt uh, quite frankly, burned out and, and stressed and, um, I came away from two days, just kind of pulling away of, uh, feeling tired and worn out and stressed. And I remember the very first Sunday, this would have been, if I can get my years right, uh, I think of 16, the first Sunday of 16, uh, there was a sermon done by Jeff Henderson and he talked about fruit of the spirit. And Mike, I probably had one of the most profound, just God moments right then. I knew my word was joy. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I knew my word was peace, excuse me, peace. And, um, uh, I just started praying for peace, studying peace. And it put me into quite frankly, probably seven months of the least degree of peace that I'd ever had. And, um, anyway, that's where I made, uh, I ended up, uh, leaving and realizing, uh, I needed, I needed to find out what was going inside of me because something was off. And for me, it was an identity thing, you know, going through a, a season of, of brokenness, realizing I had let my identity, I had head knowledge around identity. I could yeah. articulate um, things around identity. But the moment that I went from being um, president of uh, an organization of a leader I greatly respected to the guy who wasn't sure what he was going to be doing next, man, I had a crisis around uh, identity. And that put me into just uh, an incredible spiritual growth season. Um, a couple of incredible counselors, uh, helped me navigate that. And it, it, it really brought me back to that place of surrender. I began to, I knew that God had given me so many great opportunities, so many blessings in my life. And I was always grateful for him and thanked him for those things. But at some point I realized I had kind of wrapped my arms around those things. And I had made some kind of secret hidden vows to myself of, Hey, this trajectory, this growth keeps going like this. I'm staying here. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to enjoy the ride. Some of that reward-based leadership stuff that we were talking about before. And quite frankly, God had to take away my peace and take away a lot of my joy to get my attention and, and get me to a place of what I call resurrender. How, how are you different now? So you go through that crisis and, and that identity crisis, probably in some ways of, of the spiritual identity. What, what's different about you now than if I'd have found you a couple of years ago? I believe I sure want it to be true. And I think it is, is that place of, of daily surrender. Mm. I think um, also I've really worked to develop. Um, so a book that was highly impact, most impactful book I've ever read soul keeping by John Ortberg mm. and some, some spiritual disciplines in that book that, as I mentioned, pastors kid grew up in the church but we never talked much about solitude and reflection and just being quiet and still. 
And those are some things that I didn't practice, man. I was on the go. I was from one thing to the next. And I've, I've really tried to um, embrace some of those disciplines so that my soul can be healthy and I can be quiet and I can hear from the Lord. Um, and so I think those, those, those are some of the, the markers and, and the differences of, of who I am today or who, who I'm uh, aspiring to be today. Um, and it's interesting because part of me and is we sit here in this crisis and just like we're all being forced to slow down. There's part of me that kind of resents it. And I want to, yeah. I want to keep going and, you know, I, I don't like canceling plans. And I'm like, I feel like the Lord's using this to get my attention and I'm, I'm shifting my, my, trying to shift my mindset and heart set to really slow down and get back to a place. Cause I realize getting busy again, you know, I, right. I need to quiet, uh, my soul, my mind and um, not get back in another rat race. What do you think's the ultimate thing God wants from us? We'll, we'll go plural here from leaders. So God, and, and I believe that God way knows what's going on and knows where he puts people. What do you think God is God's ultimate heart for why God puts people where he puts them in leadership? Why do you think he uses leaders in such great ways. What do you think is his heart for leaders, plural, not just us personally, but but all leaders to use their influence right? You know, for me, it's John 13, 34. The new command I give you, love one another as I love you, so you must love one another. I, as I think about my, my own faith and, and the, the calling on my life, I always come back. Well, it's two verses for me. It's John 13, 34 and Matthew 6, 33. Uh, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. For me, those are my two verses that, that I always come back to personally, but I think they're for all leaders and believers, um, quite frankly. And mm-hmm. so how do we use our, our platform as a leader to genuinely love people um, and as we love people, part of doing that is being a responsible leader, leading our organizations well to make an impact on the world and live out our why, our purpose as an organization. That's so good. That is so good. I, I love, David, how you began the conversation, even talking about being a pastor's kid. And that that strikes me. You know, we've, we've raised two kids now. They're in their 20s. Um, you talked about things you picked up from your dad, both good and bad. I mean, some things in leadership that you said he did really well and some things I thought, you know, what do you pray your kids get from you when when one day they're on a, a podcast or whatever their generation will be so far yeah. past whatever we're doing? This will be this this will be like cassettes for them uh, looking back <laughs> to what we're doing right now. What do you pray yeah. are the things that your kids pick up from your life? You know, I, I hope, um, trust me, they, they see my, my warts and my flaws, my idiosyncrasies, but I hope that they know two things. One is ultimately that their dad um, loved Jesus and made mistakes, but that I loved and was sold out to Jesus Christ. And secondly, that I unconditionally loved and accepted them regardless of um circumstances, regardless of decisions, mistakes. Those are the two things that I, uh, I sure hope and pray for, um, for myself. Um, you know, I'm 
named David for a reason. So uh, one of the things I, I aspire to um, is to be a, a man after God's own heart. Um, many times fall short, but always come back to that. Um, and then uh, uh, one of my uh, aspirational values is unconditional love and acceptance or grace. Name my daughter Grace. Um, but like uh, 20-ish years ago, kind of understood grace in a completely different way. Um, and so the ability to just give grace, which I, I equate to unconditional love and acceptance, is um, what I aspire to. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with David. You know, when when you sit and talk to people, you learn so much. There's a guy who can walk in a company, and, and as he said, you can know so quickly culture, how they're wired, leadership. And I'm so thankful for gentlemen like David who have that ability to go in and not just diagnose a problem, but help people find answers to those problems. Thank you, David, for using your faith and using your influence to make a difference. Our next episode is going to be another great leader. His name is Chip Smith. Chip is one of the founding people across our country when it comes to training athletes. Chip's organization works with hundreds and hundreds of current and former NFL players. He was just picked up by the NFL Alumni Association to help build out a training program in Ohio. He is amazing. For many years, he trained the incredible linebacker with the Chicago Bears, Brian Erlacher. What you learn about Chip is he's into it for a lot more than training. His faith drives everything that he does. And, and something else Chip and I have in common is not working out all the time. But one thing we do have in common with each other is we're both Liberty University graduates, and both are proud of the place we grew in our faith and grew in our journeys while in college. It is going to be a fun conversation. Sitting down with people that train elite athletes and getting what's in their brain, it's fascinating. I can't wait for you to join in. So once again, thanks for tuning in today. And my challenge to you, go be the leader that you are created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.